The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. And this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. It's Friday, July 15th. Every day around the world, the reporters and editors who work on crypto at Bloomberg wake up, often at the crack of dawn, and start figuring out how we'll tackle the biggest and most important news events of the day. Crypto is a 24-7 asset class. It doesn't stop trading and it doesn't take holidays. And as we've talked a lot about on this podcast, these markets are known for their volatility. So it's our job to assess both the big trends and the small moments and to figure out how to translate these into stories and, of course, podcast episodes. Today, you'll get to meet three of Bloomberg's crypto editors, folks who are making decisions all day long about how we approach this asset class. Joining me today, Beth Williams and Dave Litka, who are both based in New York, and Philip Lagerkranzer, who's normally based in Zurich, but is with me in the studio in London. I know I talk to you all about every five seconds, but this is the first time you've all been on the podcast. So thank you for joining me. We have Beth and Dave in New York. Hello. Hello. And Phil, you're normally in like Switzerland in a very fun office with lots of plants in the background. But today we're in the same studio in London because we're global like that. We are indeed. Amazing. It's good to be here. What it is that you all do all day? We look at crypto um, from no. various perspectives. We look at crypto markets. We look at crypto implosions, a lot of that lately. And we look at everything from crypto mining to crypto lenders going bust. And Dave, this is not your first crypto winter. No, no. I've been through the winter of 2018 and actually start following a little earlier when maybe there was a little bit of a winter, but I don't think anybody realized the call at that. What has been for you the biggest difference about covering crypto now versus 2018 and earlier? Just the scale of it right now on it, 2017 and 18, it was it was all about one coin, and that was Bitcoin. And now it's just Bitcoin on steroids. <laughs> and Beth, you come to crypto from a, a very different part of Bloomberg entirely. What has that been like? Yes, I came from the uh, editorial opinion section of Bloomberg, uh, where we spent a lot of time uh, interpreting what was going on and helping readers kind of connect the dots of the events that were happening. So coming to crypto, sort of cold and having to learn as I go along, but also from that perspective, always keeping in mind the bigger picture. What what does this mean? What can we tell people about the significance, people who aren't you know trading coins every day? And just giving that sense of that wider perspective is something that I always have in, in the back of my mind. To your point about that wider perspective, what have been for you, Beth, like some of the pieces you've been able to edit or kind of shepherd into existence that you think have done the best job of joining up those dots for our audiences? I think in, in terms of those big picture pieces, we did some pieces around the time, you know, in the in the fall and, and heading into year end. We were, it was sort of a celebratory mode. It had been a really big year for crypto. Records were set. 
There was a sense of, you know, a lot of momentum going, you know, crypto's going mainstream, NFTs are everywhere, you know, Matt Damon, Tom Brady, etc. Mm. And I think we did a good job of sort of putting that in perspective, acknowledging that there was this mainstream um, acceptance and that there, there seemed to be, it seemed to be on the brink of some sort of, I don't know, I maybe legitimacy, I, I, maybe that, that shows my own bias, but we also showed that there were many parts of crypto that are still very young. And also there's infrastructure issues, there still remains hacks, there's scams. So as exciting as this industry seemed to be, there's a lot of quirks about it, buyer beware. And as we moved into 2022, and we're seeing this decline in prices, and then resulting crises, I think that reminder of, you know, sort of these problem issues with with crypto that came home to roost Mm -hmm. when sort of the music stopped. The last thing I would say on that most recently in terms of sort of summing up the crises that we've seen and and the major plunge in the market is sort of how it all comes full circle to many other crises that we've seen in other markets. And that comes down to hubris, complacency, and in the case of crypto, much like the financial crisis, a lot of leverage. Dave, I ask you this question because I feel like you've covered markets that have been saturated with hubris, complacency and leverage, whether in crypto or otherwise. What is it like covering a market that doesn't close? That's the big adjustment on it. So as a group, we've struggled a little bit and uh, kind of learned a lot doing that with the 24-7 atmosphere here that this market has. I guess the biggest thing is that we always got to remind ourselves a little bit in our reporters to kind of step back, take a breath, get the big picture on it. A lot of the, our reporters are what you would call some of our recent hires are crypto natives. They began their career here. So they haven't experienced those other markets. They know this stuff inside and out. Mm-hmm. But the big challenge they face and in, in we as editors are to kind of slow it down and explain it to make it understandable to everybody. And it just moves so fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're winding up a day here and the next wave hits and we're kind of trying to get out the door and, and hand it off to Asia. We're coming mm-hmm. in on the train in the morning and uh, Phil is doing the uh, tap dance in Europe until we get in. <laughs> Definitely a lot of a lot of handovers and perhaps not as much sleep as any of us would necessarily like or appreciate. But Phil, you have spent a lot of your career at Bloomberg in breaking news. And yet crypto seems stressful. Why oh. is that? <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's basically I started in... I think it was early January, and I think we've had a succession. We've had three or four different crises of different flavors. You first have to learn what, what is a crypto bridge when one get hacked for about half a cool half billion dollars, $600, $600 million, I think it was, in the Axie Infinity hack. And then once you get a grip on that, well, lo and behold, an algorithmic stable coin goes and explodes. And you have to learn what that is. And once you master that, well, guess what? You know, it's time for the crypto lenders to start blowing up in a, in a kind of series of explosions. And so it's like you're always you're always catching up to what the latest sort of nice and shiny bright thing that's going to explode. And that's been that's been something to really kind of get used to. And scope of 6 months now covering crises of different flavors every month pretty much. Right. That's been quite quite a job getting used to. Especially when so many of those just happen on like a weekend or at four o'clock in the morning and whatever that time zone might be. This is where Dave comes in handy because he'll <laughs> he'll say, yeah, this happened before. <laughs> yeah, and actually just on, on that point on it, and, and Stacy and I know Beth also covered during the, the credit crisis on it. To me, the biggest difference is that 
that was almost glacial to me. Hmm. I mean, it's just kind of like it was slow moving every day. You'd hear rumors about Merle Lynch is in trouble on it, and, and it'd be it'd take a while to play out. This is just like Phil said; it just happens in an instant, and we go on to the next one on it. So it's it's. Uh, I guess the best analogy I've heard is this: this really is like the credit crisis, but minus the central banks to kind of manage the the landing here. Yeah, I, I think that that idea of the pace is so interesting because I remember every Friday, you know, we call it Bank Failure Friday, when you would get the reports of which banks have gone under, um, usually on the, sort of the smaller the smaller lenders. And it was like a very orderly, there would be a PDF, <laughs> you know, you, you, you could look yep. at the spreadsheet. Um, to your point, sometimes you'd hear rumors, but very few things would happen on weekends. Governments around the world would be meeting super intensively. But there was almost like an understanding that this was like a nine to five crisis to an extent. Obviously, that accelerated as, as things got worse. But I'm truly fascinated that crypto as an asset class and therefore the, the crises in crypto seem to operate at internet speed, which is as fast as you can tweet something, that thing can come true. And I'm wondering, and this is perhaps a more existential question, do we think the fact that so much of crypto is happening in like real time, right? That the lack of market closes, the lack of circuit breakers, the lack of any ability to have somebody step in and say, hang on, we need to regularize prices here. Do you think any of that is contributing to how bad things can be and have gotten? I would say absolutely yes. If you look at if you look at the traditional financial industry and any any traditional industry, they announce you have you know announcement windows for the companies that are listed. You know that, for instance, between six a.m. and eight a.m., you might get releases, and you're going to get them over channels that are pretty easy to verify, to, sort of, to verify, control. Here, everything happens in the Twitter sphere. We'll have a company go and say on Twitter, by the way, hey, we just went bust. <laughs> and the first thing you have to do is look at, is this is this a verified Twitter handle? And it's, so it's a completely different cadence and it's a completely different method for, you know, making certain. And, and at the same time, these are very, very consequential mm-hmm. announcements. I mean, these are, these are companies announcing that they've hit the iceberg. And that is incredibly hard to get used to and incredibly hard to adapt to mm-hmm. as a news organization, I think. And similar to follow on to that point is that unfiltered nature of the way that the news is dispersed and the fact that everybody in the crypto universe is part of the news cycle Mm. and including a retail, you know, holder, you know, everybody's on Twitter and could somewhat liken it in terms of the the company sort of or the developers or whoever making these announcements on Twitter to the, the change in the news cycle when Donald Trump was elected president and you know, a lot of life became, you know, monitoring Trump's tweets. Well, we do that times a thousand different crypto people. <laughs> I mean, the good news is none of the crypto companies have the keys to nukes. So, you know, there's <laughs> <Yet>. like <laughs> there's a degree of difference in terms of the consequentialness. But yes, it is. It is still a very different dynamic. Up next, you'll hear more from our editors, Beth Williams, Dave Litka, and Philip Lagerkranzer as we talk about how we cover these crypto markets. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Dave, you know, you talked about various of the reporters on the team, various of the editors on the team having come either to crypto specifically or coming at crypto from different asset classes. One of the teams that we work with most closely at Bloomberg is called Cross Assets, and they are incredible. Several of those reporters have been on the show. Folks have heard from Vildana. You know, we've had Katie Greifeld, who does a show for Bloomberg that's about ETFs. What do you think from your sort of vantage point of getting to work with all these different people? How do these different perspectives that we have on the team like help our coverage? Well, just by the nature of the group one. And I, I actually came from that group and our crypto coverage was originally part of the when it became a thing back in 2017. We started to formalize coverage. But I think the, the advantage of, of that was that you had people covering a lot of different markets who understood how a lot of different things work. So they're able to connect those dots fairly quickly, understand this market, and, and give some perspective quickly because that group just basically, it's almost like a breaking news desk for markets. For me, looking at how we operate. I think one of the things that's so interesting, it's not even only Twitter, right, that we have to be paying attention to. It's somebody might be putting out a YouTube video or there might be a lot of conversation happening in a particular subreddit or there's a website somewhere that is being updated with, you know, bankruptcy filings or it's just the like the the distribution of information across lots of different platforms. And Phil, I want to go back to something that you said about verification. You know, Beth mentioned earlier that we there's scams, there's hacks, there's frauds. There's also just market manipulation. And perhaps, Dave, you can also weigh in. But having covered other markets, what do you think about the scale at which this sometimes is happening? It's amazing, really, <laughs> to, to see that, that just the brashness of these folks, both on the up and the down aspects of it. Obviously, the, the various platforms, Twitter, YouTube, Telegram. Discord. Exactly yep. on it. So this is a, it's still the Wild West. It really is on it. I mean, this is an unregulated market that grew as an alternative to a regulated world mm-hmm. on it. Uh, that this is the world those folks chose. I've been doing this for a few years and it's one of the most fascinating aspects of covering it. It makes it it's just from from a, a news perspective, it's a great thing to cover. It really is. I mean, it's just a, it's a dynamic story that that never stops. And Phil, I know you have a lot of conversations with different folks who are like, where do you even start? What would you tell them? In terms of covering crypto, I'm I'm still, you know, that was the question I had when I started. (laughs) Where, Where do I even start? Look, I think getting to know the big players in the industry, who are the key players that you will be looking after? And how do you get to know these people? And how do you get them to confide in you what's going on behind the scenes because a lot of this is going to be about sort of peeling back the layers Mm -hmm. and understand what really, you know, beyond the Twitter wars that, you know, people wage against each other, um, just being able to understand on a fundamental level what's going on behind the scenes. That's obviously a long journey, Mm -hmm. but sort of that's where I probably would start. 
You know, you've both raised this idea of one, there being a lot going on at all times, and two, every player in the ecosystem sort of being almost like on equal footing. Anonymity makes journalists very uncomfortable, um, except when we're talking about anonymous sources, which is a different story. But how have you approached figuring out reliability and robustness and other capital T traditional journalistic markers when you can't always tell who the person on the other side of an account or a wallet might be? First of all, it's the, you know, kind of the the smell test. Does it seem reasonable what this entity is saying? Is there any way that we can match it up against something that's already out there? The basic tools of journalism when it comes to, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's just become even more crucial when faced with stuff like this. Dave, if somebody is crypto native, right? They're like, I only care about this market. But you could make them pay attention to any other market because it would help them understand some of the dynamics that they were seeing. What would you suggest? I think the closest analogy was probably currencies Mm -hmm. on it. I mean, it's kind of a, a derivative of that market. And the currency markets are just all about uh, profits and loss mm-hmm. on it so that the it, it's just a, a trading thing and they, they had a lot of issues in that market too about uh, similar things about manipulation um, insider information that type of thing over the years you can look back at some of those scandals on it and it was its currency market is just huge so a lot of actually those traders have gravitated over when regulation really kind of clamped down on that stuff in the currency world mm-hmm. on it. Uh, I know plenty of traders who are who used to trade currencies who are now trading crypto. Similar kind of rush, I would imagine, and, you know, sort of free for all in terms of the hours. And then, Beth, given, you know, how much in the past, as you say, and now you have done on kind of like the dot joining and helping things be interesting and accessible to people, what do you think is one of the more interesting storylines that people are perhaps paying less attention to? It's a question I keep asking myself is, what is the use of crypto? Uh, it may sound really basic, but I think it's, an, it's something that when you see they have these huge rallies and huge plunges, it's a part of the market seeing these, these winters and these rallies, and how much this whole market is built on speculation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what I learned about it going up and going down, and all of the talk about Web3 and blockchain and all the, the ways that it can improve the world. I would like to know more about the use case. And I think people are want to know about making money. Mm-hmm. How can I trade this? The lesser known thing and something I want to know more about is what do you use crypto for? What can you use this for? Mm-hmm. Well, we will try to answer And I don't have questions. an answer to that. <laughs> yeah, this is where we go to our reporters and we're like, hello, here are some story ideas. Since I know we all have to actually go edit some things, I think we will call that the episode. Thank you to all of you for joining me and see you all when I'm back in New York. You heard from Beth Williams, who's the deputy for Bloomberg Crypto, and two of our senior editors, Dave Litka and Phil Lagerkranzer. You can find all of our work on the Bloomberg Terminal. We're on Bloomberg.com and on Twitter. Beth is B Willy Lou. I'm going to spell that for you. That's B W I L L I L I O U. Dave is D Litka. That's D L I E D T K A. And Phil has the coolest. It's his last name. It's at Lagerkranzer. That's L A G E R K R A N S E R. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, 
You could argue that crypto is no stranger to a recession. In fact, it was the financial crisis of 2008 that even birthed the idea of Bitcoin in the first place. But this recession feels a little different. In the decade or so since that formative Bitcoin white paper, crypto has experienced spectacular growth. But now, in the midst of this crypto winter, investors who entered the digital asset class during its so-called bull market are re-evaluating their whole relationship with digital coins. Bloomberg reporter Claire Ballantyne joins me Monday for a look at how investors are feeling about this wintry mix in the market. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, and this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Email your questions, comments, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. And you'll find us on Twitter at Crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergalina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producer is Mohamed Farouk. Our producer is Sharon Barrero. Our associate producers are Zanab Siddiqui, Ty Butler, and Moses Andam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.